Hey, welcome to the Fusion ATL podcast. This is Pastor Vance. If you're not familiar with Fusion, we are the young adult ministry for Victory World Church in Norcross, Georgia. We meet every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Feel free to follow us on Instagram at Fusion ATL. I hope you enjoy this message and we look forward to seeing you soon. Good evening. Man, hey, it's good to see you guys, man. I appreciate that. Man, I'm glad to be back. I wasn't here with you guys last week. I missed you guys. You guys didn't miss me. Y'all didn't miss me, man. Y'all were in here having a great time. I saw, who was, who was here last week for the worship night? Who had a good time? Man, there's something phenomenal about the fact that uh, a bunch of us as young adults are spending our Tuesday nights just coming to worship Jesus. That's a big deal. I don't, I don't know if you realize that's a big deal. That's a big deal. Some of you guys are tuned in online right now, and you could be doing anything on a Tuesday night, anything. You don't have to be watching. You don't have to be attending, uh, but you are. You are here on a Tuesday night, not for me, not for a band, not for anyone but Jesus. Now, I know some of y'all are here to meet uh, a spouse. You know, you're trying to find a wife, trying to find a husband. I get it. But ultimately, (laughs) ultimately, what you're going to find when you come through here is Jesus. And that's what makes me really, really excited, because Jesus is the biggest game changer in our lives. Has anybody found that Jesus makes a big difference in your life? A huge difference in your life. He, he's the one with the answers to life's greatest questions, which is some of what we're going to be talking about um, tonight. But Jesus is the one who changed the trajectory of my life. I would say um, I'm, I'm saying that Jesus is a huge game changer because personally, I know that Jesus was the biggest game changer in my life. Can anyone say that about their, their personal life? I want us to acknowledge this one so that everybody who's listening knows that it's not just me. You know, Jesus actually makes a difference in a lot of people's lives. And I would actually present to you that Jesus is actually the greatest game changer for your life. He's the greatest factor in your life. What you do with Jesus Christ means all the difference in life. It is the greatest question that you can answer what am I going to do with Jesus? What do I do with Jesus? That is the greatest question that you have to answer as a human being. Even though that may not be the question that you're being asked all the time. Because you get asked that question a lot in church, but how many of you guys have found that in a lot of other places in life, nobody's asking you that question? Have you realized, do you get a lot of people on a daily basis asking you, about Jesus. Do you? No, right? So it's interesting. So the, the, the greatest game changer in our life, the greatest question to answer in all of our existence, and yet you can spend a lot of your time not thinking about it, not asking that question, not being asked that question. Um, and I think that that's actually a coordinated effort by someone called your enemy who is at work trying to keep you from 
what is actually important in life. And one of the ways that this happens is through shifting your gaze and shifting your focus onto a particular image. And so we're starting a series called Image to talk about this idea um, that a lot of us are really wrapped in uh, image everywhere, your image of yourself, the image that you're wanting to portray, the image that God sees you in. And for me personally, this has been a huge topic in my life. And I think in your young adult years, this is one of the most important things that we could actually dive into and dissect because it's everywhere. For me personally, one of the greatest questions that I had to answer, I remember uh, graduating high school, going to college, and one of the first things that you start becoming aware of Uh, Whenever you're going into a new season of life, sometimes it's when you're going into high school, right? And then sometimes it's when you're going into college. Sometimes it's when you're going into the professional world. Whatever uh, arena you're in, whatever season you're in in life, there is a question of image. Has anybody realized that as human beings, we can become a little concerned about the concept of image? Has anybody realized that? I remember... Um, stepping onto my college campus and immediately, you know, I remember we had, uh, it was like during our orientation week and there was just a gathering of just the freshmen. And as the guys, the first thing that you're looking at is like, all right, who else is here? Who's my competition? Has anybody else experienced that? Some of y'all are doing that here. <laughs> Literally. Guys, girls, y'all looking around seeing people as competition, super concerned with your image, what people think of you, how you portray yourself, how people perceive you. I think that we are living in a culture that is only, I, don't, I think that it's just inherent to humanity that we're concerned about that, but I think that the way that culture is moving because we have more platforms to portray an image on, for instance, Instagram, right? All types of social media, TikTok, whatever you're on, uh, It's all really about you're cultivating and curating an image, an image that you're portraying. And we can spend our whole lives fixated on our image, chasing some type of satisfaction, some type of fulfillment. Uh, There's a piece of us that feels like if I can just get this image to this place, that's when I'll be happy. There's something in us that I, I would actually, I won't say I'll guarantee you, but I would argue, I, w- I believe about you personally that you have at least like a next version of you in your mind of like who you could be or who you expect yourself to be. And maybe you don't meet up to that. You don't match up to that. And that causes some, some frustration in your life. You have an image of who you feel like you should be of who I want to ask you, where did that come from? I want you to really process that question. You don't have to say it out loud, but legitimately ask yourself, where did that come from? Who contributed to it? What are the factors? What makes that important? What makes that a desirable image? Maybe it's 
uh, a way that you want to look physically. Maybe it's something that you feel like you should be driving, a place that you should be living. Maybe you see yourself leading. Maybe you see yourself on a stage. Maybe you see yourself just something different than what you are right now. And I think it's important that we ask the question, where is that coming from? And now I wanna talk about where that's going. And so many of us, the image that we have in our minds, we feel like it's going toward a life of more peace, more fulfillment, This is actually going to be what what makes me happy. And if you don't think that's what it is, I want you to I want you to interrogate that a little bit more, because I would challenge you that that's probably why you're trying to get to where this image will be right and make you happy. But I was looking at the news just earlier, and I think it's interesting that we can we can see all over society, people reaching these ideal images and that fulfillment piece that we're all chasing not being there. In fact, um, one of the greatest tennis players on the planet is a young adult, Naomi Osaka. Phenomenal tennis player. I mean, she beat Serena Williams. Like, 23 years old, at the top of her sport, and yet um, she just dropped out of a French tournament. Now, I mean, this is like, this is like LeBron dropping out of the playoffs. Like, he's just going to sit down. This is, like, this is like Tom Brady being like, nah, I'm not going to play in the Super Bowl. Nah, I'm not going to play that doesn't make any sense. Like you're, this is what you do. Everybody who's playing this sport wants to be you. You're the image they have in their mind. And yet she quit because they were asking her, uh, just like all sports players, they were asking her to do media interviews and she didn't want to. Uh, for a reasonable, I mean, reason, you know, not everybody's super comfortable talking on camera in front of millions of people. Somewhat understandable, but that's some of what just comes with that job. And she actually just stepped out of the tournament. And she said that she is, since she won the U.S. Open in 2018, that's years ago. And she's just been on top since, been killing it. She says, I've been suffering with long bouts of depression. So much so that, I mean, even at the pinnacle of her career, she's just stepping away. But how many people, legitimately, how many people are playing a sport and saying, if I could just be that, I would be happy? If I could just be reaching those types of achievements and accomplishments, like that's when I would be fulfilled, that's when I would feel significant. And I think we see time and time again that we're all human and that achievements and accomplishments don't always bring the fulfillment that we think that they're going to bring. I have uh, uh, another article that I was reading 
Um, and this was, this was the headline and kind of the main point of it. The guy is, it, it's on a, it was a finance article. And the guy says, I'm 49. My wife is 34. We have four kids and $2.3 million saved. I earn $300,000 a year. Most of us are like, would fill that in with, and I'm super happy being super rich, right? The sentence ends with, but I lose a lot of sleep worrying about tomorrow. When can I retire? So most of us, right, in our young adult years, we're worrying about when we're going to be able to like reach where that guy is. I want, you know, many of us want a spouse or a family. Uh, Most of us would like to have a couple million dollars saved. Most of us don't. Maybe some of you do. But most of us are like, you know what? If I could just have like two million in the bank and I could make like a few hundred thousand dollars a year, I'd be good. No stress. I'm good. And this dude can't even sleep. Think about that. Like, you're probably like, if I just made like 20 more thousand dollars, I'd be good. No stress, right? Right? You think that. Because this dude's... This dude's making like 10 times what a lot of you guys are making. And he's saying, I, I lose sleep. Not, he didn't say, like, I'm not super happy. Like, oh, it's not all it's cracked up to be. Being rich, uh, no big deal. No, he's saying, I can't sleep. I'm so worried. I lose sleep worrying about tomorrow. Do I have enough? When can I retire? Some of you are worried about when you can start the career that you keep envisioning. And this guy, he's in the technology field, is probably in the field that a lot of you guys want to be in. He's probably doing the stuff that a lot of you guys wish you were doing that you're worrying about now, and he's worrying about when he can get out. 49, and he's like, when am I, I'm worried about when can I stop Because I'm working and I'm working and I'm working and I'm doing all this stuff that everybody said to do. Get the spouse, get the family, get the money, get all these things, get the career, get the notoriety. And yet I'm writing into a blog asking somebody to give me some answers. Think about this. If I got two million in the bank, I don't know if I'm asking some dude on a blog for life advice. But this person is desperate, legitimately. Because a lot of the things that we're being told that are going to satisfy us are not going to be satisfying to us. The image that we see in our minds for the next season of life are not going to bring the fulfillment that we think they're going to bring. And Jesus actually offers us a way to be content now. Not someday 
Not when this happens, not when I look like that, not when I, I see, not when I reach this image that, that I feel like I should be, because that's not where contentment lives. That's not where joy lives. Solomon writes the book of Ecclesiastes. I mean, this is the, the richest guy to ever live, the wisest guy to ever live. And he writes this super depressing book in the Bible. Has anybody read Ecclesiastes? Ecclesiastes, the, the, the primary theme of Ecclesiastes is everything is meaningless. That's literally the primary theme, the primary thing that he's saying. He's saying, I've acquired everything that I could acquire. People want a wife, I've had 700 of them. He had uh, 300 more concubines. I don't need to go into what that is. He built everything that somebody could want to build. He's like, you know, some of, some of you guys are like, man, if I just had a nicer place, you know, if I just had a slightly bigger place, if I could just buy a house instead of renting my house, if I could just get out of my parents' house. Yeah, okay, that struck a chord. <laughs> That one struck a chord. Somebody's feeling that. And let me tell you, there's, there are some benefits. I'm not going to act like it's no big deal, like there's no benefits. But the reality is that if you can't be content now, when you get there, you'll only be disappointed thinking that that is going to fulfill you. Solomon, I mean, Solomon had so much stuff that the other richest people on the planet would travel. I mean, this is ancient times, right? They couldn't jump on a flight. They had to like get a caravan of horses and chariots to go travel just to see how Solomon was living. They, he was known all around the world. Like y'all just gotta go meet this dude and see how he's living. The queen of Sheba, right? Whatever that means. It sounds super fancy. Pretty sure she was very influential. She traveled just to go see how Solomon was living and hear his wisdom. And it says that she was overwhelmed when she just saw how he had his tables arranged and how he had his servants and leaders in order and dressed. Overwhelmed. This is a queen. She didn't even get to the backyard. She saw this man's kitchen table and was overwhelmed. The richest dude to ever live. And he says, man, I built gardens and pools and all types of stuff. And then I just asked myself, who's gonna get all this when I die? What if it's an idiot? What if they just ruin everything? What's the point of building all this? This takes years. You know how long it takes to build an illustrious garden with pools and all types of stuff in ancient times? Years. So imagine if you spend 30 years of your life building something and then you're like, I only have about 30 years left. What's going to happen with this? 
And that's pretty much the rest of the book. It's all the stuff that he got, all the things that he saw. And he's like, in the conclusion that I've come to is it's meaningless. It's pointless. None of it fulfills. In fact, he says that he found the only thing that makes life worth living is when you're able to enjoy what you have and enjoy the work you do. And he said, which only comes from the hand of God, that you can build, you can acquire, you can be the richest on the planet, you can be the most famous on the planet, you can, whatever dream you have in your heart, you can achieve it. But without God, you can't enjoy it. In fact, without God, you'll probably build the wrong thing. Without God, you'll probably acquire the wrong stuff because God actually wants you to acquire the things that will fulfill you. And we just acquire the things on our own that we think will fulfill us. And so Jesus has the audacity to say to human beings in Luke 12, 15, he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Well, then what does it consist of? What is life about if it's not about getting stuff? I want us to sit on that question for a second because you, you may feel like, oh, I'm not really big on that. I want you to really ask yourself, what is it that you have been most desiring on a day-to-day basis? And I would present to you that if it is not the coming of Jesus Christ, the fulfillment of his kingdom, to know him better, to be in an eternal, deep, intimate relationship with him. If it's not that, then it's probably something that's not going to fulfill you. And it's probably something that's going to disappoint you when you get it. And what I want to really dive into tonight is what life is about. Because we've, we've done some talking about what life is not about. Uh, I want to talk about what life is about. And this is really important to me because this determines what you do with your life. This has determined what I've done with my life and what I'm continuing to do with my life. I would say what you do with your life directly reflects what you believe life is about. What you do with your life directly reflects what you believe life is about. So if you look from your morning to your evening, what you spend most of your time doing, thinking about. If I just look at your life, if I don't talk to you, but if I just watch you live for a day, I'll be able to determine what you believe life is about. I want you to realize that that's the case. Because some of us, in our minds, we think, Oh, we believe life is about this. Life is about love. Life is about Jesus. Life is about purpose. And yet, what do you do? Because what you do reflects what you really believe. And so if you spend most of your time worrying about your finances, then life is about money. 
Think about it. Because you're saying, yeah, 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 all that stuff, that's great, yes. Life is about Jesus, life is about love, life is about helping people, life is about generosity. But until I get this money, I can't do any of that and I'm gonna spend my time over here and if I die today, this is what I'm down to die doing. That's what you're saying. Who thinks they're gonna stay in this body forever? Anybody? You're, anybody who's gonna be in, in the body you're currently in forever? Anybody? Okay. Does your life reflect the fact that you won't be in this body forever? If you could go at any moment, you can go right now. Every decision that you make, you're saying, okay, this is what I'm down to die doing. This is what I'm down, I'm, I'm down for it to end right here. Because you have no control over that. And so, what you do with your life directly reflects what you believe life is about. And I spent years of my life being foolish, late teens, early 20s, foolish. Like, I, the reason that I, part of the reason I'm so content and so focused right now when it comes to Jesus. It's partly because I've just seen enough of the nonsense and done enough of the nonsense. And I look back and I'm like, I can't believe I could have died like drunk at a Taco Bell. Plenty of times. Literally. And I imagine like God looking at me like, bro. Like, I have so much for you. And you're resisting me because you feel like somehow you have a better plan and you're drunk at a Taco Bell. And in toxic relationships. <laughs> Trying to find significance in the world. where I don't know if you realize, but the stuff that's significant in our society, one, it's only significant for a very short period of time. Two, it's typically not significant for a good reason. Look at the most prominent people in our culture. And I want you to take, take a real Look, right? And, and I want you to take a real moment to think about if you could imagine the lens that God is looking through. I want you to imagine, okay, take the most prominent people in our culture, whoever comes to your mind, right? And then look at them through the lens of like, if God is looking at this person, do you feel like they are the most prominent example in his eyes. Do you imagine like a warm, beautiful welcome into the kingdom of God? 
saying, you have represented me beautifully. And yet many of us will spend our lives trying to be like them. The image that we have in our minds is so frequently of these people. Some of us are these people, like you're lit on Instagram. And there's nothing wrong with being popular on social media. Please hear me when I say this. There is nothing wrong with that. But why are you popular? Why? And does it translate well into the kingdom of God? One clap. But I want us to really think about this. Because what you do with your life, first of all, we could say what you do with your life is probably all on your Instagram. But <laughs> what you do with your life directly reflects what you believe life is about, which means your social media probably reflects what you really believe life is about. But when we boil down the, the things that we're doing on a daily basis, it's all... It's all taking us toward this question of what we really believe life is about. And, and we're, we're answering this question, what does it mean to be human? I don't know if you realize that you're really answering that question on a daily basis, but is anybody in here a human? Okay. Some of us are humans. Maybe there's some humans online as well. Um, so if you are a human, what you do with your humanity reflects what you believe humanity is about. And you're answering the question with the decisions that you make, with the things that you say, with the places that you go, with the people that you're around, with everything you do, you're answering the question, what does it mean to be human? But you may not, ref you may not see it that way because that question is actually comprised of a lot of smaller questions. And it's, what do we do with this stuff that we have? We're, ask, we're, we're asking the question, what do I do with my body? I have a body, what do I do with it? What do I do with my mind? What do I do with my desires? What do I do with my individuality? And what do I do with the unseen? Because we all have a concept of all these things. You and I are walking around in bodies. And anything that you have, you have to decide how you're going to steward it. Anything that you have, you have to decide how you're going to manage it. Anything that you have, you have to decide how you're going to regulate it. And if you don't, it creates a mess. Does anybody have anything that they don't need to do anything with? and it does well. Can you think of anything that you have that you don't need to tend to at all, and it does well? That you don't need to care anything about, cultivate at all, care for, manage, no. Because everything that you have has to be stewarded in some way. And that's why Jesus actually uses the analogy of management all throughout scripture. He says, who is the faithful and wise manager who I'll come back and find leading and managing things well? 
and whoever's trusted with little and is faithful with little will be trusted with much. Everything you have is something you've been given. Did anybody have a conversation in the womb and say, hey, let me tell y'all what I want to look like, how tall I want to be, how I want to think, what I, what, I, what I prefer to prefer. Let me tell you the personality that I really want. Did anybody get to have that conversation? It's funny how you were just given all that. And you spend your life trying to figure out what to do with it. And there's an answer. And there are plenty of answers. But there's only one answer. Who gets to decide? Who has the authority to speak on this? Well, let me ask you, who has the authority to tell you in your life what to do with these things? And I want you to answer this question honestly. And look at the past few weeks of how you've been living your life. And then see if it matches. Who has the authority to tell you what to do with these things? Is it popular culture? Is it random influencers? Is it celebrities? Is it your pastor? Who is it? I would say to you that the creator gets to define the creation. Human beings, we all have received these gifts. Oh, and we can exchange ideas about what we think is the best way to operate with them. But you and I, what are we basing it on? Think about it. I mean, there are people who have built whole businesses, livings, like whole companies, booming businesses on telling you what to do with the things God gave you. We call people experts. Who's an expert on anything? How, do you, how are you an expert? You're an expert on finding out information about stuff that you didn't create? But this is the arrogance of humanity that we can We can spend a lot of time looking at something that somebody else created and then we call ourselves the expert because we spent 30 years studying it, discovering about it, and now I'm an authority figure on it. Think about this. Who's getting to tell you what to do with your life? Who gets to tell you what to do with your body? Who gets to tell you what to do with your mind? To tell you what to do, all types of ideas out here. All types of ideas, what to eat, what not to eat, 
whether to work out, how to work out, surgery. Y'all laughing, but I'm serious. For real. There's people telling you, yo, just get this surgery. Make these adjustments. Oh, you don't like this about yourself? Just change it. Who gets, who gets to tell you and it really holds weight with you? And I'm just asking a question. I'm not even telling you what's right and what's wrong. I'm bringing up scenarios and asking you, well, who gets to decide? Who gets to decide? We spend our time feeding our minds. You can read every book. You can listen to every podcast. You can listen to the audio books. You can, I mean, we can spend our time doing so much just trying to figure out what to do with this stuff we have. I, want, I have this brain. I want to use it to the best of its ability. I'm going to go to school. I'm going to do this. Who gets to tell you if that's the right way to do it? Because from what I'm seeing, a lot of suggestions that are being made in our society are not leading to anybody being happy. We have more ideas, more experts, more information than ever. And you know what's on the rise? It's not happiness, it's anxiety. It's depression. That's what's on the rise. But it's like we're not linking the two. And so we keep listening to everybody except God. The only one who created these things. I mean, the genius who created the human body, the human mind, not just the smart guy who's examining it. Think about this. What to do with your desires has been a discussion ever since humanity was born. It's one of the first discussions we see in scripture. God creates mankind, blesses them, tells them be fruitful, multiply, exercise dominion, and don't do this, putting a boundary on desires. And what does the devil do? Comes and challenges what they should do with their desires how to steward their ability to grab a piece of fruit and eat it. In Genesis 1, 26 through 27, let's look at this. God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So everything that humankind has been given was given by the creator of humankind. And so when we're asking the question, what does it mean to be human? Which is ultimately 
the question of what do I do with my life? What do I do with my time? What do I do with every ability that I have? What do I do? He's the one who gets to actually give an authoritative statement on that. God gets to give the authoritative statement on what we do with anything we have because there is nothing we have that we gave ourselves. Nothing. To be a human means you are made by God in the image of God. To be a human, you and I, to be a human means you are made by God, only by God. You didn't come from anywhere else. You didn't just explode into this. There was intent behind your creation. You were made by God in the image of God. We know that all creation was made by God. In fact, John 1.3 says, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. All things were made by God, but only human beings are made in the image of God. This is so important for us to understand because when we're asking the question, what do we do with our lives? It's rooted here. Your creation, who you are, <laughs> it's all rooted in the fact that you're made in the image of God. And I know we, we, we use the term image and a lot of us have different ideas of what that might mean, but the word that's used uh, in the Hebrew there is the word selim. And it's actually... It's most commonly used for statues. And so when you, know, when you see uh, an idol in a temple, whether that's a Buddha or whatever it is, when you see these, these statues, these idols, they would be referred to as a selim. And so in the image of God, doesn't mean that you're just like a picture of God, but you're like a living, breathing, thinking, talking, loving, choosing walking statue of God, of God Almighty, God who has existed for all of eternity, Alpha and Omega, before the beginning began, he was, and he will be. He, at a certain point in time, decided I'm going to make an image of myself. But he is so glorious and so grand that he, he didn't make it out of a rock. He didn't, he didn't carve a statue because that couldn't represent who he is. To even get a glimpse of who he is took DNA, choice, authority to walk and talk and think like him. And this is why he creates mankind and then says, have dominion. Because the one you were made in the image of has dominion. It's king of all, king of kings. Yes. 
So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and not to be far apart from each other, but to coexist. God created the heavens and the earth to coexist as his temple where he dwelt. And just like, uh, just like ancient temples, ancient temples had like statues of the false God that they were worshiping. God created this glorious and grand temple that we see as the universe alongside the unseen heavens, all to be his dwelling place and put images of himself here to rule over it and to reflect him in everything that we do. And so as we rule over the animals, they see God through humankind. And then we worship and we give praise back to him. And it's this glorious, beautiful creation. God created us to be like him. Our choices, on the other hand, get in the way of that. That's the biggest dilemma that we see in all of life is we were created in God's image, in his likeness to reflect him. And the gospel, the good news, why Jesus Christ came to save us and, for, and forgive us of our sins, all of that is wrapped up in his plan to redeem humanity, bring us back to the original intent, which is to actually reflect him. So this is why he comes to change us inwardly, change our character, give us integrity. Every command that Jesus gives us is not Jesus teaching us. Jesus did not come to teach us how to be a Christian. Jesus came, came to teach us how to properly be a human. Jesus didn't come to start a religion. Jesus came to redeem humanity and get us back to the original intent. Sin is deviating from the original intent. When we are made in the image of God, called to behave like God and held accountable to that, sin is when we deviate from that. And that is an egregious trespass. Think about it. You are supposed to be a reflection of God Almighty himself. And so when you engage in sinful activity, you are taking the image of God himself and engaging in ungodly activity. That's what's taking place. But for us, we're just like, well, everybody gets drunk at a Taco Bell. It's just normal, it's not that big of a deal. I'm using that as a slightly humorous example, but um, reality is I spent a lot of my life just 
chasing the wrong stuff, man, trying to find my significance in the dumbest stuff. Like I get to college and, you know, it's like the, the mark of manhood is how many girls you can get and how many of those girls will sleep with you. Women, please wake up. Please do not be that person. But that's what's happening all the time because we're searching for significance in stuff that's not going to bring it. You know, when I actually got into the place where, uh, where, where God had called me to do this right here, you know, years had passed and you know, I had been through a lot of changes and had been following Jesus for a while. Uh, but when I got here and I'm like, oh, they're asking me to like be the leader of this ministry, speak on a stage. You know what, like one of the legitimate fears that the, that the enemy taunted me with that I just walked past anyway, I was legitimately worried that there was going to be like a backlash of women, like, this your pastor? <laughs> Let me tell y'all about your pastor, I promise you. And I say that because there may be some of you guys in here who feel like your past disqualifies you from where God is trying to take you. And God came to actually redeem us and restore us, and he'll bring us even when we've stepped off track, even when we've messed stuff up, he'll actually, like, that's the plan, is you're made in the image of God. He sees himself in you. He passionately loves you. And this wasn't supposed to be a distant thing. The heavens and the earth created to coexist together, God dwelling with mankind. That's why God was walking through the garden in the cool of the day, calling out for Adam. He was present. That was supposed to be how things were working. Relationship. We mess it up. Adam and Eve, they messed it up and we've been messing it up since. But God's plan has always been to get us back on track. And he doesn't like almost kind of get us back on track. He fully restores. Fully restores. And in his grace and in his power, he will have you doing what he called you to do without your sinful past messing it up. That's why we need forgiveness for our sins. That's why we need to be cleansed. That's why we need to be washed clean. That's why we need to surrender all these things to him because he has a good plan for our lives. And so when we ask the question, you know, we say, all right, what, what does it mean to be a human? And then how do we successfully live a human life? Jesus is the model. We follow Jesus. This is why we're doing this. As I said, Jesus didn't come to teach us Christianity. Jesus came to teach us how to properly be a human made in the image of God. Colossians 1.15 says the son, talking about Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so we were made in the image of a God we cannot see with our eyes. And then that God put on human flesh and lived a human life, visible to mankind, became the visible image of the invisible God so that we would have a visible model to follow. You were made in the image of God. Why follow Jesus? 
because that is how you actually live a successful human life or else you'll get to the point where you got millions of dollars in the bank and you're making all this money and you're like, I still can't sleep because I thought this was going to bring me security and it hasn't. And everything that I get to and everything that I achieve, it just feels empty because your humanity is not satisfied by acquiring things. I want to challenge you today because Jesus, Jesus was able to live the most successful human life ever. Catch this as a single man, never got married, never had kids, never had sex, never built an illustrious professional career, never built wealth, never left a dime to anybody. In fact, he died tortured on a cross. So what is life about? I would say that the best thing you can do with everything you are given is to surrender it all to God. You asking these questions, all right, well, what do I do with my body? What do I do with my mind? What do I do with my desires? What do I do with my individuality? What do I do with the unseen? Jesus is the answer to these questions. But the world is going to tell you to hyper-focus on something. And so, all right, you have a desire to be rich. Hyper-focus on it. Focus all your life on it. Find your identity in it. Stop it, nothing to achieve it. And yet all the people who say this still have not found satisfaction in life. It's the craziest thing. We'll listen to the experts who have still never, they may have gotten that, what they were pursuing, but they never got what they thought that pursuit was really leading them to. And so D. Rockefeller, you, many of you guys may know this quote. I mean, this was, this was a really rich dude. Like they say he made like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos look like nothing. He, he as an individual owned like a full 1% of, I believe it was the global economy, if not the US economy. Regardless, it's ridiculous. He owned personally 90% of the entire oil and gas industry. 90%, just personally. And someone asked him, how much money is enough? He said, just a little bit more. And this is, the, this is actually the reality with, with everything that humans around us will tell us to base our lives on. Your sexuality. Humanity around you will tell you that your sexual desires define who you are, and if you are not able to fulfill them, then you won't be able to live a fulfilled life. Jesus challenges that. Because he was able to live a fully fulfilled life, loved by God, full of joy, fully fulfilled, 
never having a sexual encounter. So are you defined by your sexual desires? And this goes for whatever your sexual desires are. We all have them. Most of us have them, I'll say. Most people on the planet have very strong sexual desires. And Jesus challenges us and says that what we believe is impossible, most of us, man, when you are, when you are wrapped up in, in bowing to your sexual desires, when they're given full run in your life, when they're given authority in your life, to step away from them seems impossible. I remember having a, a conversation with one of my friends. I remember it clear as day, 2013. I've probably mentioned it before. It was right around the time I started coming to Victory. I was coming to Victory, coming to Fusion, like here as many times out of the week as I could be, super excited about like following Jesus for real, for real this time. And I was like, yo, I, I know that I'm serious. I was talking to a friend. I was driving in the car. I was pulling up to a red light. And I look and I'm like, yo, I know I'm serious about following Jesus. I don't know how I'm going to have a relationship where I don't have sex with my girlfriend until she becomes my wife. I don't know. That seems so foreign to me. I don't even know what the relationship should consist of. Genuinely but I'm down to follow Jesus. And I guess I'm going to find out. That's what it was. It was a surrendering. And then by God's grace, it happened. I have my beautiful wife sitting on the front row right here. Years later, after thinking that thought, expressing that, uh, and we were actually, by the grace of God, able to make it. Now, for you, you might feel like, okay, well, you know, that sounds like a nice story, but <laughs> not your boy, not your girl. I got a different story, whole different thing going on. I'm just here to present to you the idea that God created you. God has given you everything that you have. You have a responsibility to steward everything that you have. And God is saying you have the ability and he wants to partner with you to steward it properly and to actually live the life that you were designed to live. The life that will actually fulfill you. Because I don't know if you've realized, but if you've ever been run by your sexual desires, it is not a satisfying life. No matter how much the media tries to convince you that it is, and everywhere is over-sexualized, and every show you watch, every movie you watch, every TikTok, every Instagram, everything, everywhere, everybody is saying that sex is it. But nobody's saying, but I just keep trying it because I feel like it's going to fulfill me this time. And it's this dangerous cycle that we get caught in that never leads to satisfaction and in fact has the potential to deconstruct an entire society. Look at our nation. 
Look at the family structure. Some of us have just given up on the idea of family as it is. We're now, half of our society is just trying to throw out the whole idea of family. Like it doesn't work. No, it doesn't work when sexual desire is God. That's when it doesn't work. But God's way actually works. Try it. Try it. I promise you that what you are chasing outside of God is never going to give the results that it promises. Even your individuality, like who you are, your uniqueness. Some of us are like, look, I have this image of myself that I feel like I need to be at these talents and these giftings or this wiring. And this is something that I'm just not willing to submit. Because I think that if I submit to God, then I'm going to have to look like that person that submitted to God. I would present to you that your individuality was given to you by God. Everything was given to you by God. He's the one who knows how to actually make it work. So the best thing you can do with everything you're given is to surrender it all to God because he's the one who created it. In fact, I actually brought um, the, uh, the owner's manual for my car up here. Has, where's the owner manual for your car? It's in the glove compartment. Raise your hand if you've read it. Mm, only a few of us. This whole side said no. Nobody? I mean... You know, your car costs thousands of dollars. You just stepped up in there. Al Albert knows because he knows y'all going to be calling him if it gets messed up. He's a mechanic. (laughs) One of the first things that I did when I got my car was I read the owner's manual. I know that that's foreign. The The whole thing. The whole thing. This actually tells you if your car... Is found in, if you find yourself driving in snow, it tells you how to drive in snow. It tells you about all the lights that might come on. This right here, this page is telling me how to move my seat back. Some of y'all just jump up in there trying to move the seat back. Look at this. Q&A. What is the proper way to wear safety belts? Mm. Oh, everybody knows that? All right. All right. Let, we can go out on the road right now. And we, I bet you we'll see some people not wearing them. <laughs> Restraint system check. Installing the roof panel. Climate controls. Look, here's the concept. God has actually given you instructions on how to manage what you've been given. It's very, very simple. And he wants to continue to show you how to steward what you've been given. And the issue that we have is the same issue that a ton of you guys have right now about that manual. You're like, I already know all that. Okay. Because that's what many of us are doing with our body, with our mind, with our desires. We're like, oh, I already know. So-and-so told me. And then we're living our lives that way. So if you get nothing else 
from tonight, I just want you to think about the fact that God actually knows how you can live a fulfilling life. God knows the best way to manage everything that you've been given. And I want to close here. In, uh, in Matthew 16, 25 through 27, Jesus says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man. You know why he called himself that? There was actually a vision that Daniel had in Daniel 7 where he says, I saw one like a son of man, one like a human being coming on the clouds of heaven, taking his seat next to the Ancient of Days. And his dominion was an everlasting dominion and his kingdom was an everlasting kingdom. And he was foreshadowing Jesus Christ saying that it's like a God that looks like a human being. I don't know what this is. And Jesus is like, that's me. God himself putting on human flesh. So he called himself the son of man, the one that Daniel saw. For the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what they have done. So the answer to finding true life is found in losing the one we are most familiar with. Many of us have built our lives on just the world's answers to all these questions. And so as we close out tonight, I want us to take a moment to just evaluate, man, where we are when it comes to these subjects, where, where we are when it comes to this concept. And I want to put up these, uh, these areas again, because I think undoubtedly there's, there's something that we wrestle with. It might be, man, what I do with my body is my struggle. What do I do? What do I do with my mind is my struggle. What do I do with my desires? That's my struggle. What do I do with my individuality? That's my struggle. Maybe it's the unseen. It's like I have this idea, you know, of the unseen world, but I have my doubts about, you know, what it's actually like. And I don't know if it's just energy. I don't know if it's spirits. I don't know if it's God. I don't, I want to present an opportunity to you to surrender all this to the one who says that he can answer, the one who says that he has all authority, the one who says he created you in his image. He has the answers to your purpose, to your life, to your fulfillment. I want us to take an opportunity to think about this and surrender this to him. So if you'll stand to your feet, the band's gonna come out and I wanna pray for us and then for us to just enter into a time of worship um, because this is a big deal. How you answer these questions determines what you do with your life. And I mean, we read about this one dude losing sleep over like if he has enough millions of dollars. You know what actually keeps me up at night sometimes. I'm doing a lot better at getting to sleep these days, but the, the types of things that actually keep me up is genuinely thinking about you guys.
and thinking about, man, what you're gonna do with your lives. And, and, and I think about, like I said, man, those years of my life that I just spent doing the wrong stuff and running from God and disobeying him and just like marring his image and not receiving his love, not receiving his grace and just how dumb it was. And I just think about just his ridiculous grace for me that he would actually pull me out of that and draw me to himself and would actually like give me a life of substance and of meaning and would actually reserve a place for me in his kingdom and give me eternal life where I don't have to be scared to die. Like that's crazy. And I want that for everybody. But I know that it's these questions, man, that are keeping us. And I know that there's an all out coordinated attack against each and every one of you trying to give you the answer to these questions, just like the enemy slipped and talked to Eve and challenged what God was saying to her and challenged his truth and challenged whether he had good intent for her. In the same way, he's still doing that. And every demonic spirit is still doing that, saying, no, God's way is not going to fulfill you. And God just doesn't want you to be happy. That's why he doesn't want you to do that. And it's a path they're trying to lead down that leads to destruction. When God's way leads to life, life. I'm saying this from a fulfilled place. I don't feel like I'm chasing my way through life. I don't feel like I'm confused. I don't feel like I'm reaching, trying to like find significance. And it's not because I'm rich. It's not because I'm famous. It's not because I'm married. In fact, I couldn't be fulfilled in my marriage if I weren't fulfilled first in God. Genuinely, genuinely. And I know for some of us, that is like when we talk about desires, for some of us, I mean, that's what's standing between us and God. It's like, I have this desire that you haven't met and it's out of my control. And until like I meet this person and they like propose or like I propose to them, like I have no control over it. And I'm, and I'm just spending all my time fixating on this until it builds up resentment. And God is saying, your life is so much bigger than that. And it's not that he doesn't have good things for you. God is not going to withhold any good thing from you. He says that. I mean, God created you in his image, in his likeness, not to be disappointed with you, to be pleased with you. That's what God wants. That's what salvation is about. Why do you think somebody would die for you? Because they didn't like you? No. Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, just so we could be brought back into relationship with him. Just so we could be restored to our purpose. That's what he wants for you. But as we're talking about evaluating these things, man, I want us to really take this time because genuinely, tomorrow is just not promised. I know people, personally know people who didn't make it to the age that I'm at. And I know a lot of you guys do too. I know people who have sat in these rooms who are not here. I've done funerals for people who came through here. That's why this keeps me up at night. I've, I'll be doing inevitably 
more funerals because life is temporary if somebody's not doing mine. And what we do with this question makes all the difference because we wrestle with this stuff right now, but if you're gone tomorrow, does it really matter? Does it matter? The thing that like is holding you back from really giving everything to God and surrendering to him, if you're gone tomorrow, was it really that big of a deal? Are you willing to die on that? Because Jesus felt like what was really a big deal, what he was willing to die on was you and your ability, not even that it would be guaranteed. He said, so that whoever would believe in him, whoever, if anybody, if any of you sitting in this room would choose to follow him, if anybody would believe in him, he would grant them eternal life because he, he, he won't force you to do anything. Part of being made in his image is given the authority to choose. And that comes with some consequences that he was willing to pay for, but he paid all the consequences. Think about this. We're like, oh man, why would a good God allow evil? A good God created you knowing you had the potential for evil, knowing you had, and then he paid the price for the evil that you would do. And so, man, this is not just a Tuesday night, you know, sermon, prayer time at the end. Oh, yeah, we do the altar calls at the end. No, man, this is real. Like these bodies are not guaranteed. This stuff is temporary. This stuff turns back into dirt. Are you willing to die on I'm going to do what I want to do with this that I was given? If you are, I want you to at least know you're making that decision and that God is inviting you. God is inviting you into a higher way of living life. That the offerings of the world really don't follow through on their promises. And only God follows through on his promises because there will come a time. If you've read, maybe you read the beginning of the Bible, maybe you've read in the middle, but there's a, there's a part at the end where everything changes where everything gets restored, where all this stuff actually starts making sense. It's like, oh, this, this perfect version, the new heaven and new earth, not just everybody gets to heaven, but there's a new heaven and a new earth. And like the original plan goes back into motion. And every single one of you are invited to steward the image of God properly now as if that time has already happened. So you step into that time already knowing what to do, already in relationship with him. And so in this moment, if you either have not made a decision to follow Jesus or you want to recommit to following Jesus and doing something substantial and the most important thing that you could do with your humanity, I want to extend that opportunity to you. Whether you're watching online, whether you're in here, I want to pray with you and for you because this is the most important decision. You will hear me say this all the time because I fully believe it. 
This is the most important decision you can ever make with your entire life. I started the message out that way. This is how we're closing. This is the most important decision. What happens tomorrow bears nothing on the decision that you can make today to follow Jesus and the gift of eternal life to where when this body turns back into dirt, the inner you that God breathed into you, your spirit man will continue on into life with him, life restored. And so if you're saying, I want to make that decision today, I want us all to bow our heads, close our eyes and take a personal moment to think about this. Because, I mean, this is going to be a new decision for some people. And for some of us, this is just a waking up moment to say, man, I'm actually uh, maybe I didn't think about it this way or, or it hasn't really held this much weight with me. But God is doing something in my heart right now. And I'm not willing to trade my entire future of eternity, the fulfillment of my soul, the purpose of my humanity. I'm not willing to trade it for what I decide to do with something I've been given, a gift. I'm going to offer that gift back. I'm going to offer that gift back to God and allow him to tell me how to manage it. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if, if you're wanting to make that decision today, Maybe you're online, but if you're in this room, I want you to lift your hand and I want you to lift it boldly so that I could pray with you. His hands going up. Just know that God sees you. This is an important moment. I just want you to sit there for a second to feel your hand lifted. This is so important. I don't want this to be a fleeting moment, a passing moment. I want you to feel your hand lifted and, and understand you're saying, hey, I'm, I'm using this ability that I have to choose, this gift that I have of choice. I'm using this to choose Jesus. I believe that you can save my soul. You can put your hand down. I want to pray this prayer with you and I want everyone across this room to pray this prayer with our brothers and sisters, knowing that we are praying the most life changing prayer that we can pray when we earnestly mean it. When we believe with our heart and confess with our mouth what we're believing in our heart, that's what makes the difference. And so I want you to repeat after me, say, Jesus, I believe that you are the son of God, that you are God himself, that you came to earth, put on human flesh, lived a perfect life and died a death that I deserved on a Roman cross and shed your blood so that I could be forgiven for my sins. I believe that you rose from the grave, that you hold the power of life and death in your hands, that you are seated 
in heaven, far above every spirit and every name that is named. I believe that you have the authority to make every decision in my life, in heaven and on earth. I give my life to you. I surrender all to you. Every question, every doubt, I give it all to you. I turn from my old life and I turn to you. I make you the leader of my life and you are the savior of my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're going to go into a time of worship. This is just an opportunity for each and every one of us to actually take what we need to give to God and give it to him. Everything that we wrestle with, every piece that we're challenged with, we have the beautiful gift of life to be here on this Tuesday night, to spend time in his presence and actually surrender to him. For you, maybe that looks like worshiping and finding a place in here where you can worship. Maybe that looks like praying with someone. We have some leaders down front to pray with you. Maybe that looks like praying with the person you came with. But I want us to take advantage of this opportunity and the way that God is moving on your heart. Ah, Just take advantage of this moment. God is here. He's with us. He'll speak to us. He'll move in our lives. Let's worship. Hey, thank you for listening. We're so glad to have you as a part of our community. If you want to get connected any further, please visit fusionatl.org. You can get plugged into a small group there, and you can also send in a prayer request so that we can pray for you. Once again, thanks for listening, and thanks for being a part of Fusion ATL.